This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The wheels on the bus are coming off again. Tottenham were meant to bathe in trophies after the arrival of Jose Mourinho. Instead, he's alienated the supporters in record time and potentially the players too. The truth is simple. The team that reached the Champions League final last season has vanished and they will not be back there anytime soon. So how much of this is Mourinho's fault? It's great to welcome back former Manchester United, QPR and England fullback Paul Parker for another outing to have his say. Paul, it's brilliant to have you back on the podcast, but I'm sure you're equally delighted to be back amongst the fine company of myself and Marcus. Oh, I couldn't wait to get here with you, by the way, Ben. It's great to see Marcus again. It's been quite a while, so it's fantastic. Always a pleasure to be, always a pleasure to be working with you. <laughs> that's, that's mutual, definitely mutual. Marcus, I can see you're grinning. You're obviously happy to be here. Welcome back. Thanks, mate. Hi, Paul. Hi there, Marcus. Lovely. This is this is cute. This is romantic. Um, now we're all familiar, I think, with the Jose Mourinho narrative. Chapter one: win trophies. Chapter two: medium success at the cost of alienating a key player. Chapter three: major implosion. Each more magnificent than the last. The problem is that Spurs seem to have skipped straight to chapter three. Paul, why is it not working, Mourinho and Tottenham? Because Tottenham have got a culture about the way they play football. And if they wanted to keep that culture, they've employed the wrong person. And we've seen already the usual issues with personnel, which is never kept in the house for some reason. It's always coming out there about problems with players. So you wonder why is that always getting out? But it's t- there's too many off-the-field issues going on. His, his problem with Ndombele, good player. But the one thing, as I've seen with players who have come from overseas, Fred is the prime example to me. Manchester United, what a recovery that was with him as a player because of the fact of he started to play games. He never got games, many games under Jose Mourinho. Every time he played, he was always anxious, always edgy. And every time he came off the pitch, people were ready to have a go at him. And all Jose Mourinho had done was given him a chance. I've given him a chance. It's not just about giving a chance, it's giving someone a run. Ndombele needs a run to get belief in himself, he's good enough to be at that club, good enough to play in that team, and he's appreciated by the manager and respected by the players. But he's never going to get that if he's only getting cameos of five minutes or nothing at all. So he's mostly feeling a little bit like a spare leg at the moment. So Jose Mourinho, in my opinion, 
and I'm going to say it again, has to learn, and you, and you can still always learn, great people, great managers, ordinary people learn about managing or understanding people. Somewhere along the line, he has to get that and understand he can't carry on managing in the old ways because people are changing every minute of the day. Marcus, what are you making of the, the debacle at, at a club I know you hold fondly in your heart? Um, I think it's uh, massively agree with Paul, but I think also it's a perfect storm. Mourinho isn't suited to the club in general. You look at the clubs he's been at previously, but he seems to be behind the times now. But you, you marry those two things together. Tottenham obviously didn't spend heavily in the latter part of Pochettino's tenure until last summer, where they bought three big signings who suited the Pochettino way of playing, Lo Celso and Dombele and Sessegnon. Lo Celso is the only one he's playing, and that is obviously up to the current manager. But it makes limited sense to employ a manager who you know, realistically, isn't really going to take to the players that you've signed. So if you sign players for Pochettino and then sack him early into the season, if you replace him with someone, it needs to be someone who, in terms of philosophy, is fairly similar in nature. They've gone to the other end of the spectrum and basically Tottenham's struggles under Pochettino, in my opinion, were a team that were on its last legs in terms of physically. Now, they had a refresh over the summer, but only one of them players is playing, which is Lo Celso. And actually, he's not playing in the position he excelled in, in Real Betis. When he was at PSG, he played deeper, didn't do too well. Went to Betis, played in the number 10, excelled. So it's sort of the combination for me of Mourinho being a little dated, but then going into completely the wrong club with completely the wrong players. And that's why the usual three-year cycle of early success just hasn't hasn't come to the fore. Obviously, there's other complicating factors, like the fact he came in halfway through the season. But you would have thought perhaps lockdown would have offered an opportunity for him to put his ideas across. Maybe he has put his ideas across, but if he has, they don't look particularly good. It's a real struggle. Yeah, let's not forget that this is a guy who's won three Premier Leagues, two Champions Leagues, two Serie A's, a La Liga. Monday was his 200th win in the Premier League. I mean, only four other men have reached that milestone. And yet, like you guys have been saying, it seems like he's been plucked from another era. Um, and that sole purpose of winning, sticking everyone behind the ball and grinding out results, is completely against what, what Tottenham stand for. And I just wonder, what's, what is the point of football if you suck all the joy out of it and your only focus is winning? <laughs> you look at Spurs and you look at what you've done to Manchester United. It's absolutely weird, strange, madness that these clubs have taken on somebody whose reputation off the pitch wasn't good. And his reputation and the way he plays isn't good either for those clubs. Those clubs are held in high regard in the way they play the game or want to play the game. And he goes against all of that. He goes all of that, against all of that. And yet they employed him because both clubs at that given time were desperate to win a trophy. It's as simple as that. He'd done it at Manchester United with a bit of luck in the um, Europa League. David De Gea was fantastic for them. He did it in, in the League Cup when they shouldn't have won that League Cup because Southampton should really have beaten them in that final. But at the end of the day, they won. So that can't be taken away. As many as much as I, the negatives in it, they've won them. But that's what people are talking about. He wins. But it was a way of doing it. If you speak to United fans now, they all wanted him because they wanted to win something. He thought he, would, he was going to get them to maybe win a league or win a Champions League. I'm sure a lot of them were thinking that. That he was never going to get near that with a squad he had in the manner in which 
who was treating the squad in the manner they were what they were playing in. And the same has gone to Spurs with a kind of a, a team that was kind of dying in the sense of getting a little bit older. They've been together a while. There wasn't enough new energy levels being brought into it because the club was building a new stadium. He knew exactly what he was going into, yet he still went in there knowing that he wasn't going to be able to go and spend any money, which I find really strange. Why has he gone and done that? Why has Daniel Levy gone and brought someone in who he knows can be very toxic on the pitch and just as bad off the pitch? And at this moment, even in a stadium full of maybe 300 people last night, there is there was an eerie feeling. I think it was made more eerie on the fact that you could feel the mood of Tottenham Hotspur's manager. Paul, just quickly on on that, you we were chatting before. You had an interesting anecdote from oh, actually being in the gantries and your uh, your fellow pundit Gary Neville. Well, well, Gary, I mean it's the second time I've been there this season, and Gary was there for the West Ham game as well, so he's in front of me, and I saw Gary, and Gary normally always stands up. You like to stand up. Very difficult, so much for me, doing the, doing the radio because you're normally sitting down and you're cramped up and you can't really stand because of people behind you. But in the gantry bit, you, you can always, generally always stand up at these new these grounds in the Premier League. So Gary, after the 10 minutes, was sat down. I really wanted to duck under the table and I could have actually done my broadcasting from there because that was the game was all about. There was nothing there to see. But Gary sat down and he watched the game and then after the game, Gary has whipped round, he's looked at me, and he said to me, was that game as bad as what I was saying it was? And, he looked, and I kind of felt Gary was concerned that he was so negative about Everton. And he said to me, was Everton that bad? Because he, I think he's really had a go at Everton. And he had every right to have a go at Everton. Because as bad as Spurs were, Everton were bad because of, lack of effort, not taking an opportunity to go and be a bad team. Everton were a bad team, but Tottenham were a bad team, who were just edging it on the fortunate deflection of a Michael Keane from a shot that might have been going wide, going wide by Lo So it was it was awful. Everything was bad. And when you see someone like Gary who's done so many games, interesting where he ranks that game and all the games he's done. I think Last night, that would have been the worst. He might have had time to think about it now. He might have had to, he might have had to relive it as well, which is a horrible feeling, reliving that game. But it's definitely going to be in his top five worst Premier League games he's ever seen. just makes no sense to me. Tottenham have all this great attacking power. They've got Harry Kane, Son Heung-min, Bergwijn's coming through. Lucas Moura was great at the end of last season. And now they're just being told to defend when they need to win every single game to qualify for the Champions League. I mean, the Champions League is now gone. They've dropped points against Sheffield United and United. Just Mourinho's kind of tactics, style, everything makes absolutely no sense. I just, I want to kind of lead this slightly looking forward if I can. Like, is, like, are we seeing the end of Mourinho here? It's difficult. There's, there's two, two bits at play here for Tottenham um, and how he's performing with them. Mourinho, at his best, he timed his appointments at clubs really, really well. So both Chelsea post Chelsea stints into Milan and Real Madrid, they were teams that were emerging and then he pushed them on to be winners, right? At Tottenham, he's come in at completely the wrong time. He's not someone for rebuilding. So it's difficult to gauge fully how far he has fallen because this is a team that isn't suited to the way he plays football or the way he pushes very good teams into being excellent teams. But I think the problem is 
his philosophy is dated. You look at the best teams just in England at the moment. They're very intricate passing patterns and movements. Mourinho, apparently, his coaching style, and Paul will be able to obviously give more insight on this, is, is very much a solid base and then let your attackers freewheel it, which I think you look at Liverpool, you look at Man City, who have got very choreographed patterns. I mean, that seems to be the way to play now. And obviously, not everyone can play like Man City or Liverpool. But the problem is that Tottenham have players who potentially could play in that manner. And actually, at their best, under Pochettino, they did play in that manner. So I think it's a perfect storm for Mourinho in as much as his tactics are slightly dated, but he's at the wrong club. So to say it's the end of Mourinho, I think, would be a bit premature. I don't think he'll succeed at Tottenham. There have been rumours that he might go into international management, and I think he'd be hugely successful there. He might go to another club job where the players are more suited, the profile of the players are more suited to his style of management. But the biggest counterpoint against Mourinho is he is of the opinion that you are most at risk when you have the ball, which is... I call that scary, Marcus. I call that not being brave as a manager. Yeah. And that's not... And to be honest, that's like virtue saying, well, I don't trust my players when they've got the ball. So if you do lose it, your first run is backwards, not to go and get hunt the ball down as early as possible. I mean, that's, that's to me the way he manages is percentage manager. And everyone kept saying he's a great tactician. I always think it's easier to destroy a painting than to create a picture. Yeah. And he is a destroyer. And if there's 10 people, there's, a, there's at least nine destroyers there and maybe one who can create. And that's the difference. And when you talk about creating, you talk about Pep, you talk about Arsene Wenger, talk about Klopp. Mourinho's never been creative. He's been a destroyer. And a lot of people got fooled into the way they kept looking at what he was winning games and never looked how he's winning games. He's winning games by destroying. If I was going to set a team out to play, I would virtually mimic what other teams do against me. It was, as he was doing at United, every team who played three at the back, he mimicked it. And everyone's going, great tactics. That's what I would do if they were, if I felt they were better than me, I would go up against a man to man and I would just try and match him. And that's what, and that's what he only he has always done and has relied at Chelsea when he was at Chelsea where he had his, his best success of his top players getting him out of trouble. But then we've got to remember how many players he destroyed by not allowing them to be the players they were pre him arriving or players who he brought in and we took away a lot of their, took away a lot of their tricks. Look what he's doing to Son now. Look at him. Got involved in a little bit of a tear-up with his goalkeeper. Rare. Lloris getting that agitated. Rare. Yeah. The whole thing, all things that you don't associate with Spurs. You see the way Spurs are overcomplicating playing at the back. That's not them. But when they did do it under Pochettino, it was brilliant. They had two centre-halves who everyone talks about the best pairing in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Pre this game, neither of them were starting. All of a sudden, Alderweireld starts the game with Dyer. Strange. Why? Why are you doing that for? Dyer's not a good centre half. He was struggling in midfield. Why are you doing that? Why isn't for Tottenham? And you bring him for Tottenham with three minutes to go. It's just not right. Everything I'm seeing is carbon copy of what I saw at Manchester United. The same players keep getting taken off. Bergvine, every time he starts a game, he gets taken off. He was on the bench. He's exciting, got a burst of pace, good ability on the ball, technically very good. It's just it's just absolutely madness. The players he's got there, as said earlier, Spurs have got an abundance of 
of attacking players. Spurs were a team that you used to love watching go forward. I'm looking at Harry Kane playing. I only know Harry Kane's playing if he scores a goal. People will keep saying Harry Kane, oh, he's not fit yet because he takes him time to come back. Same old reasons, same old excuses, whatever you say. Harry Kane is not right because Spurs are not playing in a way which gives Harry Kane the opportunity to get in there and score goals. So if he's not being fueled properly, how are Spurs going to go and win games and kill, kill games off? If all the time they do score, they're going to have to defend. Harry Kane, you look, you look at his stats last night, and what everyone will come out and say is, Coy did enough work hard. He done a, look, look how many miles he's done. Fantastic. Skoda can do, can do load of miles. He can't compete with quality of a Rolls Royce. It's true, and I think that that could actually be a big problem moving forward for Mourinho's tenure. But I imagine the difference between how Harry Kane sort of enjoyed his football prior to Mourinho and after Mourinho that would hasten any potential exit from the club. It's one thing not winning things and playing in a really, really entertaining, enjoyable side. It's another thing not winning things and playing in a boring team with absolutely no service. Let's be honest. I think it'd be naive to think that. Club chairman don't speak to leading players within the club. Those football, you're correct. Yeah. So the thing is, I imagine Le- Daniel Levy will be will be speaking to players, particularly Harry Kane, but other senior players like Alderweireld signs a new contract and gets dropped. It's a bit weird, but Harry Kane, if Harry Kane's there, like you know, if he's little murmurs of this isn't on, or you know, it's not enjoyable, it's not actually progressive because you've got to think who's Harry Kane really played under consistently. He's played under. Uh, Pochettino and Gareth Southgate, who are two fairly progressive coaches. And uh, and tactics, Tim. Yeah, 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 of course. Uh, Tim, Tim actually made him by all accounts. I think, I think that's a bit, that's a bit much. He got, he got he claimed, very he lucky. Claims it. He certainly claims it. He certainly claims it. Um, but, but the thing is, you know, if Levy's speaking to, to the senior players and the senior pros are like, look, compare what's happening now to what's happening under Pochettino. I think a lot of the players, there are rumours that Poch had lost the dressing room towards the end. I wonder what their thoughts would be now, to be honest. And, and if they're getting fed back to the chairman, actually, could that have an impact on, on Mourinho's sort of tenure at the club? Who knows? But look, it, it doesn't look a particularly positive atmosphere or a particularly enjoyable place to be playing your football at the moment. But that's obviously from the outside looking in. Paul, have you ever played under a manager where you're just looking and you're just like, why on earth are we playing like this? Like, look at the players we've got. Like, I'm guessing you didn't have this under Fergie, but perhaps in at another club where you're just looking around, just like, oh, for goodness sake. And 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 if so, or if not, like, what what would the players be feeling? Because obviously, if you're Son or you're Harry Kane, and you're, it's like we've got such a quality team here, and yet we're playing to stop Everton. Like Everton were like eleventh in the table, twelfth in the table, wherever they are. I, I never had that. I don't think football was like that. And again, we, we, we never question tactics of coaches or manage, sorry, they were called managers then, because they actually manage, manage people as well as manage you on the pitch. They manage you off the pitch as well. But we never, never really had that in that sense. Never thought that way. Everything was geared towards winning games of football. When you come up against the better sides, it was about talking about individual players. How are we going to quell them? How are we going to stop the service to them? How are we not going to allow that? But there's always that talk about winning a game of football because you had centre-forwards, wingers, maybe attacking midfield players, who were on bonuses who wanted to score goals. I wanted to win games of football. Goalkeepers wanted a clean sheet. We had incentives. 
And those incentives meant that we got a little bit added more to our wages because of it. So we had a burning desire to win games. So if you was going to, someone was going to bring in a manager who was negative, I'm sure senior players would have said something about it. They wouldn't have gone running to the press. So at the end of the day, it's a player's game at this moment in time. They hold the key to the club. They're the ones who keep all the doors open and look after everybody because if they're content, the club's content. Spurs are not content at the moment. Daniel Levy is shrewd, very good at what he does, very successful at what he does. And the reason why Spurs are in that shiny, spanky new stadium is a lot to do with him and the owner of the football club. And the only thing that's missing from that is a decent football team. They haven't built that stadium to have negative football and no cha- no Champions League football. No way. American football in there, having concerts in there is great. But it's not going to be an Albert Hall with no roof. It has to be an established, successful football team in that stadium for it to get the recognition that it wants. American football, concerts, boxing, great. Football is what gets you out there, which makes you the money. Levy needs that. Jose Mourinho there does not and will not get you that. By that logic then, Paul, Mourinho's got to gotta go quickly. I think if they allow it to go on too much, it will affect everything in and around that club. It would, honestly, it will, in my opinion, affect it. And football clubs, you know, football clubs are like any other business, is that if it's not right on the bits on the outskirts, the main, the main body of that football club will feel the effects. And that's happening on the football pitch at the moment in time. And if you want to ask, you know, find out things, you have a look at United, you look at their decline, you look at the, the way they were playing and people were accepting it because United was winning games. As the new age fans do, they don't really know the history of the, about the football, about Tottenham. The players, the individual players they had there, they've had great individual players and they played a great brand of football. The new age don't understand it. They just see winning. They want winning. But as it went on and on and on, people started to get disgruntled. And that's when things started getting to a boiling point. Tottenham can't allow that to happen. Cannot allow that to happen. Everyone wants to have a go at Tottenham because they're not winning anything. Being a successful manager doesn't mean you have to win trophies. Because there's only so many trophies you can win or which people accept that you can win. In this moment, Tottenham are not prepared to go and are not in a position to go and do that. Being a successful Tottenham manager at this moment in time is to get the team back to a level of where Pochettino was pre-Champions League final. Get back to that level and then they can start talking about filling the gaps where it, where it went a little bit wrong just post, sorry, just pre-Champions League final. Might as well float his name in now, Maurizio Pochettino. I mean, if I'm Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy, I'm doing the, I'm making a, as soon as I finish this podcast, obviously Daniel Levy listens to this, call up Jose Mourinho, sack him, call up Pochettino, say, don't go for Newcastle, come back home, I'm sorry, let's get it going. That's a wonderful dream you had there. Wonderful dream. <laughs> wonderful, you must be sleeping on lovely pillars. To be fair, I'm, I, I've got to say, Paul, I think there might be a small chance. There might be a small chance. Pochettino, like the squad, was absolutely knackered at the end. He's had he's had nine months off, six months, nine months, whatever. And I think if the job became available tomorrow, I personally think Pochettino would come back. I don't know if anyone saw the a couple of pictures recently. He was in the kit. <laughs> Not even that one. Did you see the one with his barbecue? No. Uh, so he's got he's got a, an absolutely sensational barbecue. Big old, big old steel 
sort of contraption. And then ingrained in the middle of it is his magic, don't you know, which is obviously the song Spurs fans sing. So I think, I genuinely think like Pochettino is an emotional man. I think there is a genuine connection there. And actually, could he do as a done? I mean, as I think Spurs fans would love to see it. I think the players, perhaps, you know, you'd reflect on what the last few months have been and reflect on the Pochettino era. And those who are maybe a little bit fed up towards Pochettino era might have realised that actually things weren't so bad. Um, but I think, as Paul says, it is a dream, but there is a slight, slight chance. And, and be honest, by the way you've gone there, Mark, because I feel a little bit of what you're saying, and I, I get it, I do get it. My bit is, oh, there's an adage, isn't there, that you don't always want to go back. True, true. Saying that we're in, we're in a different world at this moment in time, the norm, it could be a new norm, so it could maybe just work. I would love to see it. The simple reason is that the football that Spurs were playing was so enjoyable to watch. Watching the games in Europe, I went to a European game. I watched. The, I loved watching them play in Europe. It was amazing what they achieved and the way their comebacks and the resilience they showed. And everything was geared towards Pochettino. It was quite emotional the way everything the players got so emotional about it. But something happened, and the worst thing in football at the moment is that word, which is my initial player power. And that's the <laughs> problem. Players have got too much in the game. Managers can't manage players anymore. That's why they're called coaches now, because they can't manage no more, because the monies that the players are earning gives them too much over the top of managers. They can outshout them to their bosses. That's as well, Paul. On that subject, I think it's about the value that's put on managers slash coaches to players. Like if you just, like Mourinho is an exception because he's on a lot of money, but actually when Pochettino was there, he would have been on substantially less money than a lot of the leading players. So then that sets a hierarchy in many respects. Unfortunately, that is the way the world works. So, do you know what I mean? If if you've got five players who are like, I'm not happy with this coach, I want to leave, as that puts the club in a predicament because actually what's the most cost-effective way of dealing with that is probably getting rid of a coach. So that, but an interesting point on what you say about resilience, I found quite interesting. I think Tottenham in general, under Pochettino, their mentality improved hugely. Like obviously, you know, they didn't win a trophy and everyone sort of focuses on that. But there were games that they would have lost previously that they won, particularly on the route to the Champions League final. Ultimately, they lost the Champions League final. But I think they did show good mental strength for a lot of that period. Actually, to get to the Champions League and get to the top four last season, playing pretty terribly, shows a level of mental strength. And then a few months into the job, Mourinho's come out and said, I'm not sure about the players' mental strength. And it's like... One thing's changed in that period and it's been the appointment of Jose Mourinho and all of a sudden the players aren't mentally strong. So I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I just, I just think he's not suited to the club, personally. But it's that added in it, that new manager comes in, the first thing he normally says after a week or so, after maybe he might lose a game or something, the first thing he'll say as a new manager, older players ain't fit enough. There's a massive kick in the team to the previous coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, Mauricio, if you're listening... Do maybe just, you know, drop down your text. Just see see what the situation is. You never know. Uh, we'll leave it there, I think. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. Um, absolute pleasure having you on, as always. Thank you, Ben. Top, top stuff, Paul, as always. Oh, Marcus, thanks to you as well. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And obviously, thanks to you at home. Uh, this has been a, a slightly morbid episode for, for those of a Tottenham persuasion. Um, hopefully that it will cheer up for your club uh, in, in the coming days. But until then, see you soon. Over and out. Yeah. Yeah. 
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.